You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1267 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you deep into the night on a Wednesday evening into Thursday. It's about 11 p.m. Eastern as I start this podcast on the night before the draft. And that's important to timestamp this pod because this time of year, nothing is safe. Try to wait as long as I possibly could to record and still get it up for the overnight crowd and into the morning. So here I am, but there's been reporting um, even very recently. I'm going to go through all the rumors at the top of the podcast. And then the second half of the show will be my final thoughts on the NBA draft and uh, the players available in the Hawks range, trade up range, trade down range, etc. But uh, thank you for joining me on the podcast. As always, if you're a new listener, I'm sure we have some of those people coming up right now as the uh, one of the prominent times of the NBA calendar is upon us. Thank you for listening. And also, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, also on the YouTube side, video-wise. Um, all of that is very appreciated. I would say subscribe across platforms as well as follow us on Twitter at Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. And we'll dive in now first with the Rumor Roundup. I will say this is my fifth show of the week already, and I did a bunch of rumor roundups already, including one that dropped on Tuesday. And uh, there's been some new stuff, but I'm going to not go back too far on that stuff. So I recommend always listening to the previous podcast. There's still some relevant information on all of those shows. But in the last 24 hours or so, I'm going to go in sort, sort of in an order of what was reported when. Uh, first thing was Chris Kirshner of The Athletic wrote a mailbag on Wednesday. That's, of course, a local. Um, he covers the Hawks locally um, and poured a lot of cold water on some of the rumblings prior to that, which is not um, you know, not out of the ordinary, but certainly noteworthy from a local source. He said something that I've said before. It's not really makes sense in my mind to actually have, you know, especially with the Hawks' public comments, to actually trade John Collins for a pick-based package without at least having something of a solid player coming back because the Hawks still want to win now. I said it before, but that's definitely worth noting. He also wrote that he is not expecting the Hawks to pursue DeAndre Ayton, at least in the mix right now, and there's no traction is the way that he put it right now on that front for Atlanta. Not a huge surprise to me because I'm sure, but I'm sure it'll surprise some Hawks fans who have been making those uh, DeAndre Ayton photoshops in recent weeks. Still can ramp up again, but uh, Ayton, as a reminder, is a free agent on July on July 1. So nothing can really happen on the eight in front in the next eight or nine days. Keep that in mind as well. That's not over by any means, but uh, not not a huge priority thing in the next couple of days. Um, Elsewhere, this is sort of an off-the-radar thing, and I promise we're going to get to DeJounte Murray in a second. But uh, Christian Winfield of the New York Daily News, who does a good job covering the Nets and the NBA up there, reported in a story about Brooklyn coveting P.J. Tucker to pair with Kevin Durant that the Hawks are among the teams that are, quote, expected to make a run at Tucker's services, end quote. This is interesting. I put it in the unlikely category, even with the reporting on this. Tucker is a great player, honestly, a very valuable role player. I think the Hawks fans hopefully saw that in the Miami series where he was hugely valuable for the Heat against the Hawks very recently. But he's an older guy and obviously wants to play on a contending team, which the Hawks could be in some respects. But the Hawks are, of course, well over the cap at this point in time. It has to be the middle-level exception to go out and get Tucker. And for one thing, I'm not sure the Hawks are going to do that and go into the tax uh, if they do not cut salary elsewhere, which they might do also. And for two, Tucker has already been reportedly um, sort of pursued or will be pursued by the Sixers on a three-year $30 million contract, as well as Miami is going to want him back as well. There'll be all kinds of teams asking for Tucker to to come to those places and kind of offering the same thing about the mid-level exception. So the Hawks don't have anything special to offer him. Uh, The best they could possibly offer B.J. Tucker would be a two-plus-one, sort of a player option on the third year of a contract. 
uh, for the mid-level. That's a lot of money and a lot of years to offer to a 37-year-old. That's probably the one way the Hawks could maybe stand out there. But, again, he's 37 years old, so that's the uh, sort of cap on the over 38 rule, not to be too nerdy at this point in the podcast. But he would help them quite a bit, no question about that. And I wouldn't blend the Hawks for at least inquiring about P.J. Tucker, but I would say that it's not likely to happen. Still very interesting to have a rumbling like that the day before the draft even. So it's still pretty early in the cycle, but uh, a credible report on the Hawks looking for P.J. Tucker. Also, Jake Fisher, who's been reporting a lot of stuff, and Jake is uh, very smart and plugged in for Bleacher Report, on Wednesday afternoon reported a very interesting thing on John Collins. And that is, I'm going to read the entire thing to you now. And it says, quote, One thing that is certain is that the the Atlanta Hawks sources say are operating with the goal of trading John Collins before Thursday night gets underway. End quote. So while in some way this is not like hugely new reporting, obviously Collins has been out there for a while. I said on the most recent show, it, we are now in the more likely than not kind of category with Collins getting moved by all accounts at this point in time. This is a pretty strong language from Jake and, and probably intentionally so. Um, it's different than that. Basically, it lays out that the Hawks are actually making this a goal to actually get it done and also laying a timeline out of before the draft even starts on Thursday. It's one of the reasons why I actually waited this long to record the podcast on Wednesday night was that it might happen tonight and it still might happen overnight. I'm not really sure what's going on there in terms of timing, but um, certainly does not mean it's going to happen officially. Like nothing is assured. I am always skeptical. Even if, if people, I know people are kind of assuming this is, this is going to be happening now at like 95% of the time, I wouldn't go quite that far. I think it's probably going to happen um, somewhere, somehow at this point is where I am, but nothing is assured at this point in time. And that uh, keeping your guard up is usually the right move on this kind of thing. Um, for some background, also on the Collins front, Portland ended up trading for Jeremy Grant earlier tonight for a lightly protected first-round pick. That does not mean that they're out on Collins, but it could make less sense for the Blazers now. It also might make less urgency for the Blazers right now. Also, Chris Haynes reported that Portland's going to try to snag OJ, OG Anobi if they possibly can. So maybe they're out of the Collins business. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure yet, but I wouldn't close the door just yet. But certainly a little bit less likely, I would imagine, after they kind of put some chips in for Jeremy Grant already. Then... Mark Stein, at about 8.30 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, reported that the Hawks are weighing a variety of scenarios as they pursue a John Collins trade in connection with Thursday's draft with a deal headlined by Collins and Sacramento's Harrison Barnes among Atlanta's prime options, end quote. Not hugely new either, and as a reminder for what I was talking about a little bit on yesterday's show, it basically is this. Any deal involving the Kings and the Hawks, it's a two-team deal involving John Collins, almost assuredly has to have Harrison Barnes in it. Even if it was a swing for Jaden Ivey or the number four pick, however you want to say that, Barnes has to be there for the most part. Not There are definitely some ways to do it without Barnes, but logically speaking, for salary matching purposes and just for Hawks roster purposes, it almost has to include Barnes. So that's not a huge reveal there. Um, so keep that in mind as well. But uh, we've done enough on that recently. I do I do have to get to the, uh, the brand new rumor uh, right now. So, the big one on Wednesday came about an hour ago as I'm recording this, about 10, 15-ish p.m. Eastern time. Jake Fisher reported that the Spurs are taking offers for DeJounte Murray, and they are asking for, quote, a Drew Holiday-like package, end quote, in exchange for Murray's services. And he also reported that the Spurs have had their most significant discussions, is the way he put it, with the Hawks in a deal that would potentially send Collins to San Antonio. It would have to be more than Collins, to be sure, because just just so you know, the Drew Holiday-like package, uh, Drew got traded for three first-round picks. So keep that in mind. That, that's a very hefty package, for sure. Um, Jake also reported that San Antonio, Sacramento, and Utah are, quote, considered the most legitimate potential landing spots for Collins. And the Jazz interest is, of course, tied to Rudy Gobert and that potential deal that just will not die. That The, the Gobert stuff seems to come in and out of vogue all the time, but it just will not go away. 
at this point in time. It is still lingering. It's hanging in there. And uh, there you go. Um, so not to go crazy on this deep dive. It's obviously just a rumor at this point in time. But DeJounte Murray checks a lot of boxes and is a very interesting piece, perhaps the most appetizing piece that we've seen for the Hawks at this point in time. I will say that Rudy Gobert is a better player than DeJounte Murray right now today. But Murray is younger. He is not. He, he would be a guy that would give them more of a natural upgrade because you know going from Capella to Gobert is an upgrade. Um, or even to eight in long term as an upgrade potentially. But going from what the Hawks have next to Trey Young to Murray is a larger upgrade. And Murray is a guy who signed, signed for two years at a good contract, et cetera. The appeal is very obvious on the on DeJounte Murray. There are differing schools of thought as to how good he is. Like he was an all-star this year, kind of in a weird way. I think he probably wasn't quite on the level of like top 25 player in the league. That's usually what the all-star team is. But he's like a top 40 guy in the league, something like that. That's still a very, very good player on a good contract. And also the way that he actually checks a lot of boxes is even better for the Hawks. So he'll be 26 in September. That's a uh, pretty, of course, young sort of prime age. Uh, two years left in his deal. That's a good value for the Hawks as well. Uh, huge counting numbers this year. Like he's a, he's a sort of stat stuffer in a lot of ways. Good score. I would be a little bit wary of buying high on him, so to speak. So basically like paying for his absolute apex value. I'm not sure he's actually as good as the numbers indicated this year, but still, Murray's a very, very good defensive player, which is, of course, huge next to Trey Young in the backcourt. That gives him a lot of value and a huge ball hawk, like playmaker defensively, like a league leader in steals in the past. Um, also helps the offense in that he would give them the Hawks, give the Hawks their next, uh, sorry, their number two creator that they've been looking for for quite some time. Um, all of that stuff is great. He's a great natural fit as a result of that, attacking um, sort of secondary stuff on offense. He can run the show when Trey leaves the floor. All the stuff that you kind of been talking about for a while, even I've talking about for a while, he fits a lot in the way the Hawks would be looking to improve their roster. The one little bit shaky weakness of his is his perimeter shooting. So he's not quite as good on that as you might think or might, might want. But next to Trey and probably between him and like other shooters, it would be good. I think long term, if you were to do this kind of swap for Collins for Murray, you need some shooting at the four. I think you would have a hard time going with a non-shooter at the four and a non-shooter at the five, especially if you were to go with Capella. If it's a Kongwu and you might maybe shoots a little bit more in the future, you just need to worry about a little bit more shooting on the floor with Murray, but still, that's sort of a rich man's problem. He's a very, very appealing target for the Hawks. Don't get me wrong. Uh, he's Even if I'm, a, if I'm a little bit worried about him being not quite as good as he was last year moving forward, uh, he's still really good, and that's a, a very, very interesting player. People are already asking me kind of what it, what it might cost for Collins plus to get Murray. This is a total guess, but just using Jake's framework of the Drew Holiday package, I would say Collins and two first-round picks or Collins something else and a first-round pick, whether it be like Herter or Jalen Johnson, something like that. It's like a first-round pick equivalent at this point in time. The thing is that Collins makes more money than, than Murray does, so keep that in mind too. If it's Collins and Herter, you got to fill some more salary probably coming back. Um, so all that stuff is kind of interesting in a lot of ways. But um, I think that Murray does have more value than Collins, very, very obviously on the trade market. You could argue that Collins and Murray, at least I would, that they're probably a little bit closer together than people might think that they are. But Murray is the more accomplished in terms of like, you know, making an all-star team, also just being a higher trade value guy and uh, on a good contract as well, all that stuff, and a better fit in some ways with, with what the Hawks are now. But I will say it would be a very interesting negotiation if this were to be keeping happening in the next day or two or even beyond that. They don't have to do this deal right now, but obviously there might be some uh, sort of, some incentive based on the reporting for the Hawks to get this done quickly. And uh, yeah, I'd be fascinated by this. We'll have, of course, more coverage on this if it actually comes to fruition or if there's more rumors on it in the future. But nothing's guaranteed. In fact, Chris Kirscher already reported as I'm talking now that nothing's close on the Hawks side. No huge surprise there on that. But uh, certainly a, a bomb of a, of a rumor from Jake um, 
sort of 23 hours before the draft, 22 hours before the draft. So a lot to get into there. And I hope I did a decent job giving the overview. I'm not going to do the entire deep dive on John Tamer right now. We'll save some of that for later if the deal actually happens. But a fascinating fascinating player and honestly i would be way more interested in a dejounte murray package than i would be um if you're if you're trey collins and getting murray back than i would be for getting like the seventh pick or the sixth pick in this draft something like that even even Jaden ivy i personally would be more interested in the murray and the murray route and the ivy route if it's me but all that said very interesting stuff on the rumor mill and we'll spend most of the rest of the podcast talking about the nba draft and some of the options there but first a word from our sponsors on today's podcast Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. The NBA season is, of course, over on the actual court, but the madness never ends in the NBA. And that's especially true with the draft coming up this week at free agency, next week and beyond. And the draft is really an event you can actually wager on at this point in time. It's a lot of fun to go ahead and do that, handicap it, and use your skills and your knowledge to the best possible ends. And at Bet Online, you can do all of that stuff in one place, number one source for all of your sports betting needs and information this year. Find all the latest odds, news and developments in the sports world. That includes the Stanley Cup Finals and MLB odds and scores, the latest fight stuff, and next season's NBA futures, NFL futures, football futures, college basketball futures. And BetOnline is the key source for all the live betting needs that you have, as well as esports and poker. They have casino games and much more. And other sports are also in the mix, always. But online, they have hockey, they have golf. Tennis, auto racing, horse racing, soccer, cricket, entertainment bets, and more. Australian World Football is something that's pretty interesting at times. Table tennis, the fun never stops at Bet Online. And the Bet Online is the place you need to go today on a computer or mobile device to learn more about all the trends and the action across the sporting universe. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, so kind of a fast and furious first segment on the show. And uh, not necessarily expected, but I kind of knew there was going to be some rumors, so I left that whole thing open. The rest of the way here, mostly draft stuff and my final thoughts. And listen, a lot of stuff could be irrelevant by the time people are listening to this, even on Thursday. Or by the time the draft picks, like, look, I spent a lot of time talking about the Hawks drafting and a bunch of guys in this class that I want to give my final thoughts on, but they might trade out. They might trade the picks somewhere, somewhere else. It's all very fluid at this point in time, and I appreciate your patience and your uh, flexibility on all that. Um, a quick reminder here at the top uh, – a guy we have talked about a ton recently is that is Danilo Gallinari, who is still looming out there. And his, his deal guarantees on June 29th. And basically, no one believes that they're going to be paying him that full number for next year. So basically, the Hawks can't wait for free agency to begin to actually make a decision on Gallo. So it's going to be maybe in the next day or two they have to decide something on Gallo. They kind of already decided to not bring him back, I think. Maybe not officially, but they're either going to trade him or they're going to cut him. And I think we'll uh, that's definitely the most likely scenarios that I would see at this point in time. But uh, that's something to keep an eye on over the next couple of days. And as a reminder as well, even if the Hawks were to sort of either cut Gallo or get off him for a, lot, a pretty cheap or trade their pick, they're still very close to the tax. They have a lot of money guaranteed um, to different guys. So uh, the money stuff is going to be a factor along the way in a lot of different ways. And uh, just, to, just to keep in mind, Gallo is a guy who is uh, a factor in the next couple of days at very minimum. Um, again, I'm going to talk about draft-based stuff the rest of the way, but there is a scenario where you turn this pick into a player, either by attaching it to Gallo or attaching it to Bogey or attaching it to Herder or even Capella, any of that stuff, maybe even Collins in the, in the swing uh, in the reported swing scenario for Jaden Ivey, et cetera. Um, this pick could not be made by the Hawks. That's possible. Keep that in mind. It's also possible to talk through all scenarios. And but, you know, it is what it is. Um, also, we'll spend most of the time talking about the first round guys. But quickly, before we get to that, um, some names at 44. I think the Hawks already reported that they might actually uh, sorry, Jake, I think it was Jake Fisher reported that the Hawks might move off that pick. Very possible. And 44 is not a spot where you just like would be shocked if they trade that pick. But if they were to hold on to it, I want to give you some names to keep an eye on for me anyway. A couple of high end guys that probably won't be there, to be honest, but could fall like like Shree Cooper did last year. 
Uh, Ryan Rollins would be interesting. Andrew Nemhart would be interesting if they were to fall. A couple of uh, sort of buy-low candidates, Peyton Watson of UCLA and Patrick Baldwin would be total flyers, but former five-star prospects that kind of just had their star fall a lot at 44 would be good values. Josh Minot of Memphis would be an interesting buy for me. Caleb Houston from Michigan, I've seen him play a lot, would be interested in some, on some level as sort of a long-term play. Jabari Walker from Colorado would be a good pick for me at 44. And then the last two guys that I think are probably the combination of realistic and also guys that I would like to see it with the Hawks at 44, Justin Lewis of Marquette and Arkansas's Jalen Williams. It's a different Jalen Williams than Santa Clara's. We'll come back to later on. Those two guys, though, are very interesting guys that I have in my top 35 or 40 that if they were still available at 44 would be very nice buys. Okay, to the actual uh, more sexy stuff in the first round. So I'll start with the, with sort of the trade-up possibilities because those ads are pretty interesting in a lot of ways. They were a bit more in vogue recently with the Collins stuff and even the potential that the Hawks just use their own pick and a future pick to move up the draft. So there's a group of guys that the Hawks basically can't get or very likely will not get unless they make a trade, and that is basically obviously Jay Nivey at the absolute high side, but even like Keegan Murray – Benedict Matherin, Dyson Daniels, Shaden Sharp, A.J. Griffin. Those guys are all basically only trade-up candidates. I'd be shocked if any of those guys fell to 16. Um, but generally speaking, and I know I'm repeating myself a little bit, for, but for new listeners, I'm not a huge fan of trading up with considerable assets in this class, especially to get a guy that I don't think is going to be a star. And I think basically Ivy's the only guy that I would be like really on board with a like a full-scale swing on in this class. There are guys with some upside. I think Griffin in particular has a bunch of upside. Um, but alas, I don't think that trading up in general for non-star projection players is my favorite thing to do. And this class is kind of flat and usually in a flat class, you don't want to trade up necessarily. But um, I think that you're honestly, you're getting pretty similar value from like, I don't know, five or six down to like even maybe 16, but more like 11 or 12. The gap there is not huge. Like my, my number five or six guy on my cloud on my board is like maybe a half tier above the guys at 12, 13, 14. It's a pretty flat range. Um, so as for individual players quickly here, I'm not super high on Keegan Murray, but a guy that I do like, he's a pretty high floor prospect. I think he'll be gone by like six. So you have to go way up to get him. I don't, I don't think that's available necessarily in my mind, but uh, I got, I always wanted to mention Ben Matherin's a guy I've liked for a long time. I had him as a first rounder last year. Um, I think he probably could have come out last year like a top 20 pick. Um, definitely a top seven guy for me in this draft. He's kind of a three and D plus kind of player that I do like and do trust his jump shot defensively. I think that he's like more like fine than great, but I think he's more of a shooting guard size player. Honestly, kind of reminds me a little bit of what the Hawks kind of already have with Herder and Bogey. A little bit more upside than that for sure. But uh, he's a good cutter, very smart player. I like him a ton. I'm just not sure what like you know what what new he's going to give you if you're the Hawks. But still, maybe Travis like just falls in love with him. He's a very he's a very schlanky player in some respects. Um, Dyson Daniels is a guy that's been reported to be a potential favorite of the Hawks if they were to trade up. That's been out there uh, in the ether. Even going back to the early podcast that I was doing in the cycle, like in you know February, March, April on this feed, Daniels was a guy that I've always loved. I've always said that uh, his skill set is something I really really value. Maybe my favorite guy in the whole draft. Not the number one player in the draft by any means. I want to be clear about that. But someone I really like overall. He's like 6'7 with a 6'10 wingspan. He's got, he has legitimate guard skills. He's a great defensive prospect. Perhaps the best defensive prospect on the perimeter in the entire draft. Um, and good playmaker overall. Unselfish guy on offense. Moves the ball. The big skill there in terms of a swing for him is the jump shot. Uh, that's, not, that's not me saying anything out of school. That's a pretty consensus opinion. If he can shoot at a solid level, I would love him in that range. Now, 
obviously the counter argument would be that he's pretty limited on offense if he can't shoot. And I'm not really on board with necessarily like trading a ton for a guy who probably isn't going to be a star, but he is a good fit, um, especially with what the Hawks are building with Trey Young uh, playing alongside him and also running the offense when he's off the floor. Checks a lot of boxes and I like him quite a bit. Um, AJ Griffin is a fascinating guy as well. Formerly a number one overall kind of potential prospect like early in high school um, and then got had a couple of injuries. Missed like basically his last two years of high school. Uh, had some leg injuries and then got a late start at Duke as well. And this year was kind of a limited athlete in a way that he didn't used to be. So the hope there would be that he gets a lot of that back as he gets in NBA stuff further away from injuries, good, good training, et cetera. But uh, the high end theory of him is that he gets a little bit of that burst back and he's a great shooter already. He's got great touch, real small forward size. Like he's very, very physical, very strong. But defensively, he was really rough this year at Duke. I think his tools are better than that, but he was not good. So that, that's something I don't like necessarily love about him. I think I'd argue he has about as much or maybe more upside than anybody in this range other than maybe Shaden Sharp, who's like the X-Factor swing guy overall. Um, but I do like Griffin in a vacuum. It's just like the medical was a big question there and like just how much burst you think he, that he might be able to get back from his early days that he kind of lost this year at Duke. Uh, again, speaking of Sharp, Total wild card, basically. I've seen him play a few times at the EYBL level. He has not played a competitive game in more than a year at this point. But certainly people that like him think he's going to be a future star. If you don't, it's more of a uh, you know, sort of a shadowy evaluation. He's not played at a high level, just so you know, at least, at least so far. But I get the appeal from what I've seen. I just don't know if I have a definitive evaluation. I just cannot give you one at this moment in time. He just hasn't played enough, and I haven't seen enough to actually know for sure. But listen uh, – I'm, I'm a fan of going for upside, generally speaking. He definitely seems to have it, so I definitely understand the appeal there. I don't know if you can go up and swing too much on a guy so unproven, but uh, I do understand it with Shaden Sharp. Um, then there are a couple more guys that I will sort of tick off briefly here that are, um, let's just say, I think they're going to be gone by 16, but they're a little bit less likely to be gone than guys that I talked about before. Um, but I think also these guys, you don't have to go up like into like the top six or seven to get. I think you probably go to like 10 and get a guy or these, uh, at least one, one or two of these guys. And that is uh, really is Jeremy Sohan from Baylor and Johnny Davis of Wisconsin. There's almost always a guy that falls unexpectedly. Like, in fact, the Hawks have had this happen twice in the last half decade. John Collins fell to them unexpectedly. Jalen Johnson last year fell to them unexpectedly. That could happen again. I, I would not bank on that. But honestly, if either Sohan or Davis got to the Hawks at 16, I would take them immediately. That's how I am about that. It's not like they're a like huge uh, you know, huge tiers ahead of guys in that range, generally speaking, but I have them both in my top 10 or 11. So uh, that speaks to how like how much I like them. Sohan defensively is a monster. Um, basically, any non-center prospect in the whole class, I think he probably has the highest upside. I think, you know, Daniels is the best guard defender in my mind. But Sohan, given his physical tools, could be like a legitimate three or four position player. Uh, or poor position defender he could be a monster defensively a seven foot wingspan handles the ball really well on offense actually a pretty pretty good feel already the jump shots definitely up in the air on him that's a huge point of contention about just how, like what he does on offense basically that's the downside is that maybe he's just kind of a zero on offense i don't necessarily buy that but that's that's one of the concerns but a great high field guy on defense and i like him a lot on that on the floor and then davis was a guy at one point was like a top six guy in this class because he was like a national player of the year candidate cooled off a little bit late in the year in wisconsin I don't think he's quite at that level, but he, he can already score. Um, even when people are sort of loading up on him at Wisconsin, he's, he was still able to score effectively. I think he's a secondary guy in the NBA with the Hawks. That's totally fine. That's what you want with uh, with Trey Young. Defensively, he's already really good. Um, not like elite, but I think will be a very, very solid, competitive, gritty defender. Um, 
you know, shooting guard size, but he's a, he's a better defender than like Matherin is, for instance. Um, Matherin's better on offense in my mind, at least in terms of clean evaluation for the NBA level. But yeah, I like John Davis a lot as well. It would be a good pick at 16, or maybe if you have to trade up to like 12 or 13 to get him, something like that. Um, so basically, basically, that's all the guys that I could see the Hawks trading up for in this draft or using the Collins pick or whatever. Obviously, the Ivy package is out there, but I'll just say it again for anybody that has not heard me say this already. Um, Ivy is the upside swing in this draft. Um, you know, I, I understand maybe trading the farm for him, including Collins. Um, I wouldn't necessarily be like the number one cheerleader of that move, but I do understand it because Ivy really does have the combination of size, burst, creation, uh, potential defense, uh, kind of anyway, to uh, sort of entice you. I think he does have star upside if it all comes together. The thing that the reason why I'm not totally in love with Ivy in the way that some others are, and I get it for sure, is that right now he's neither a great shooter nor a great passer. And for me, that's not, it's kind of a, you need to at least have one of those two things as a perimeter creative type. And listen, I think the shot has come a long way already. I'm just not sure how good it actually is in the passing is like, okay. But for a guy at this level, you wanted to be a little bit better than that at one of those two things. And then defensively, I don't really care that much. The tools are okay. He's not good right now, but I think he's got enough tools to be just fine. The, the problem is like, if you're playing with a tray, you need to be, probably be better than okay. That's the thing. Uh, and for the Hawks, they have to buy him as a defender in a way that maybe other teams don't because they already have to build around Trey on the perimeter. So obviously some real smoke out, out there still that can move up in the draft, either um, either all the way to Ivy or something like that. But uh, we'll get into all of that in a moment. I don't love any of that trade-up stuff in a vacuum for me or trading Collins for something like that. But I wanted to at least run down the options before we dive into the trade-down stuff and the trade uh, – sorry, and the non-trade stuff. At just picking a guy at 16. How about that? Just drafting someone at 16. That's one of the possibilities as well. But – with all that out of the way, we'll have more coming up on the draft. But first, our final word to hear from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Built, and our friends over at Built are coming up with amazing flavors all the time. And this time, they've actually truly outdone themselves with the new Mud Pie flavor. And for the first time ever, Built is introducing the Mud Pie flavor in both Mud Pie Bar and Mud Pie Puff. If you're not sure what the Mud Pie tastes like, you'll definitely like it if you're actually a fan of chocolate. New, the new Mud Pie Bar is, has rich whipped cream, chocolate mousse, smothered in 100% real chocolate, and topped with cookies and cream crumble. You have to try this as soon as possible and you need to hurry because Mud Pie Bar and Mud Pie Puff are only available for a limited time. Visit built.com, taste your deliciousness for yourself. If you're not convinced, by the way, we say the best for last. It's actually good for you on top of all that other stuff. No, really. Built products are low calorie, high protein, and low sugar. 16 grams of protein, only 150 calories, and 8 grams of sugar in a mud pie. And it's like your mom baked the most deliciously creamy chocolate mud pie and wrapped it up just for you in one spot. Mud Pie Bars and Puffs are available right now at Built.com. They're going fast because they're both healthy and delicious. They have the ability to uh, actually use collagen protein, which helps your body absorb it more efficiently. That provides a lot of health benefits. It tastes good, and it's actually good for you. You're going to love the new Mud Pie Built Bar and Built Puff, whether you need a snack for your workout, a late-night treat, or just a grab-and-go bite. Built is perfectly aligned on the protein bar space, both in taste, texture, and health. And stop drooling now. Go to Built.com to order your, your box of Mud Pie Bars and Puffs right now. You won't regret it. When you get there, go to Built.com. Of course, use promo code LOCK15, 15% off on your order with Built Bar. One more time. That is promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Built.com. All right, so we'll tackle the trade down possibilities, which is something that people not really talked about at all, honestly. Um, I've been sort of teasing this a little bit, but there was some comments from Landry Fields. I think there was like a passing mention of trading down. Teams always want to say that they will keep that open as an option. I'm not sure if the Hawks are really evaluating trade-down options, but I would be, I will say. I know most fans do not like trading down. I totally get that. It's not a sexy thing to do. But if you think that this class is flat, like I do, 
generally speaking, in a flat draft, you don't want to be trading up. You want to be trading back. Um, and I think just in a vacuum value-wise, I do think that trading down would be a pretty decent option for Atlanta, given how I feel about the draft. Not everybody agrees with me on that, but I think especially if the guy that they don't like – if there's not a guy that they absolutely love at 16, I would certainly consider moving back, um, especially if you don't think there's, there's like one guy that's like a half tier above everybody else. Um Basically, it's possible in my mind to get like the guy at 20 that you might be able to get at 16, that, that kind of thing. Also, there are four teams in this draft right now that have multiple picks after the Hawks in the first round. That's a kind of a rare situation. Um, Houston has 17 and 26. San Antonio has 20 and 25. Speaking of San Antonio, we talked about them earlier with, with Murray, but uh, sort of separately, uh, draft-based trade. Uh, Denver has 21 and 30, and Memphis has 22 and 29. Um, again, it doesn't have to be a, a team – that has multiple first round picks in this draft and alone that could be a future pick could be something else, but Denver and Memphis have incentive as teams trying to win now to maybe move up and, cons- and consolidate picks. Houston and San Antonio have three first round picks each overall. So maybe they don't want to take three guys. Maybe you want to trade two of those guys up for the Hawks. Um, for example, I don't think you're going to get 17 and 26 for 16. That would be kind of crazy from Houston's perspective, but there are examples in the past of teams in the mid teens getting two first rounders to move down. That's happened before. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's definitely possible. Um, and I think that would be an area that I'd be interested in if I was the Hawks. I do understand that there is a faction of the fan base that does not want to pick guys at all, basically, much less multiple guys or trade down for more more bites of the apple. But I will always say this. You are drafting for the future, not for rookie seasons. I understand Nate is not the most rookie-friendly guy in the world. They should have played Jalen Johnson more this year. I said that as much on the podcast. But um, – what you're doing in the draft is not going to be based on what they do as a rookie. You're going to want to develop those guys anyway. And it's not the worst thing in the world to have more guys in your system that are, by the way, also cheap and cost control at the end of the first round, uh, hit on one of those guys. And you have some success that helps you down the line, especially for a team that's got a lot of money guaranteed to guys in the future. So trading down, um, there are players that we'll hit on in a second that I will talk about as options if you if that were to happen. But in general, I would be uh, on board with the idea of at least evaluating a trade down scenario. I think that is uh, interesting. So um, from here, we will get into some guys available at 16. So I'm not going to do like a full on deep dive, but I'll start now with who I picked in the Locked On Network's Ultimate Mock Draft. This has been out there for a while. If you're a subscriber, you would have seen already the network dropped in the teaser episode over the last weekend with the top six picks. But um, earlier this week, picks 13 through 18 drops. Like I should talk about that a little bit for the first time now. This actually happened a couple of weeks ago. So a little bit has changed since then. But um, basically, the top 15 picks quickly were Jabari, Chet Holmgren, Paolo Moncaro, Jaden Ayu, Shaden Sharp, Keegan Murray, Ben Matherin, Sohan, um, Jalen Duran, AJ Griffin, Dyson Daniels, Johnny Davis, Mark Williams, Malachi Branham, and Nikola Jovic. So basically, I had everybody else left available at that point in time. And I think that it wasn't a no-brainer for me, but I picked Tari Eason at the time. I still a guy that I think would be a very good outcome for the Hawks. He's in my top 15. Um, out of LSU. We'll come back to him more, more in a second, but that's, that's the guy that I picked. I think it's a good um, value if the Hawks were to get him a 16 overall. I'm not sure I would actually take him today. I think I've changed my mind a little bit. I have one guy maybe ahead of him that I didn't pick at that point in time, but I think Easton would be a great outcome, and that's why I picked him. Also, um, I've been decent at this stuff in terms of the locked-on mock in recent years. Um, I do like Jalen Williams a lot, by the way, um, and that's probably the guy that I would maybe consider. Um, but I had Jared Allen for the Hawks in 2017. I got, I ended up with Jaron Jackson Jr. and DeAnthony Melton in 2018. I probably should have taken Trey, obviously, but if I, I didn't take Trey, but still, that's a pretty good draft overall. Um, 
uh, took Hunter at eight in 2019. And he actually went at four in that draft. I got Nas Little in that draft as well, which actually would have been pretty solid. Um, I got Devin Vassell in 2020. Akung was already off the board, so that actually feel pretty good about that. And then last year, I got Jalen Johnson, which actually ended up happening. So I have a decent track record in these, so hopefully we'll see what happens. But uh, that's where I was on that. So obviously, I'd be on board with taking Eason. And basically, there is a group of guys for me that I would be very excited about if I was the Hawks at 16. And it's essentially the following. It's um, Tari Eason, Jalen Williams of Santa Clara, and then any of the guys who I mentioned before that might fall, whether it be Johnny Davis or Jeremy Sohan, whoever else. Um, any of those guys would be in like the very happy for me tier, like the legitimately pleased tier. Um, then there's a guy, then, then there's sort of a group of guys that I'd be totally fine with, like I think are just totally appropriate pick 16. And that is Malachi Branham, Blake Wesley, Tatai Washington, Dalen Terry, Uzman Jang, Okai, Ochai Baji, and EJ Liddell. I know that's a lot of guys, but again, this is a very flat draft. So I think those, those picks will all make sense on some level. And there's another group of guys that I would not love if they draft them at 16, but I would sort of, I sort of understand it. And also these are going to be guys that I think would be in play if they were to trade down. Uh, these are in no order, by the way. It's uh, Jaden Hardy, uh, Jake Laravia from Wake Forest, Max Christie, Michigan State, Wendell Moore, Marjan Bochamp, and Bryce McGowans. All those guys are, I think, draftable at this point, maybe trade, maybe in trade-down scenarios. So that's 15 guys. I know that's a lot. I've said it a lot on the podcast in the last couple of months. This could be any of those guys. It would not surprise me. This is, a, again, a, a pretty flat draft. It is very, very wide open at this point in time. I know there's a lot of names. I'll come, come back for some uh, – at the end of the podcast, I'm going to give you some quick scouting reports on all of them. But uh, there you go. And that's kind of where I am, sort of broadly speaking, as to where I would be at this point. So some some preferable stuff, some less preferable stuff, and uh, acceptable stuff, et cetera. Okay. Uh, mock draft roundup time, quickly. Um, this is always changing, but as of this recording, I just want to tell you who the mainstream outlets are projecting for the Hawks. Um, ESPN, Jonathan Voni has Jalen Williams. Um, Sam Vecini of the Athletic, John Hollinger of the Athletic, and Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated all have Malachi Branham. So he's the, actually the leader in mock drafts. Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer took Tari Eason for the Hawks. And then Ricky O'Donnell, who's been on this podcast before, of SB Nation, uh, has Tatai Washington. And I had to file a mock draft for Dime that ran on Wednesday, and I gave the Hawks Jalen Williams. So kind of a uh, all of the board kind of thing there, but uh, pretty sort of consensus stuff on Branham, Williams, and maybe a little bit of Eason and Ty Ty sprinkled in. So I talked about Eason earlier a little bit, but he would be one of the two guys that I have highest on my board, you know, defensively, very physical, um, very playmaker, um, sort of adjacent uh, defensively, very aggressive in a good way. I think the Hawks could use someone like that. They don't really have that guy on the roster right now. That's like a, you know, just sort of a dog in a lot of ways in terms of like attacking the rim on offense. He's a very raw offensive player. That's the concern with Eason. Um, he, and he sort of fouls a lot too for a defender, but I think he's a pretty interesting guy. The Hawks don't necessarily have, and for me, he's like a top 12 or 13, maybe 14 kind of guy in this draft. Certainly a good value 16. I would be on board with Tari Eason. In addition to that, I mentioned Jalen Williams is a guy that I like. And honestly, I have flat out heard that the Hawks like Jalen Williams. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to take him, but I could not be less surprised by that as well. Uh, he is, for me, the epitome of a Travis Schlenk prospect. Dribble pass shoot. I uh, said that a couple times before already, but he's sort of a late riser in the national space. But the diehards already liked him before this. He's 6'6 with a 7'2 wingspan, and he's super skilled. Now, he grew like seven or eight inches into the end of high school, so he's kind of a late bloomer in that respect, and he's still figuring it out at, at this new sort of huge size that he has, but he's got great playmaking skills for a player that's like a, that's legitimately wing-sized. Pick-and-roll operation, he's very comfortable with that. He shot it well this year as well. The big question with Williams is that he's not a great athlete, and that is real. He's not a great athlete. 
flat out. But he is super long and super crafty and creative. But the uh, you could see it in certain situations where he's playing against better players that he had some trouble creating space. That's the big question. So uh, that the, all these guys by now, by the way, have at least one big question. For Eason, it's his offense and his sort of just overall like sh- you know, shooting and ability to create and uh, ability to score. Uh, with Williams, it's limited burst. But defensively, I like him. I think he's going to be totally solid to pr- probably pretty good because he's so long. He's such such good feel. Probably not a lockdown guy, but still a good aptitude. And those guys, for me, are like a mini tier above the rest of these guys that I'm about to mention. So that, that's just my opinion. All this stuff's pretty close together. Uh, from there, the closest guy to that tier, and I almost said that, uh, I almost had him in this tier, was Malachi Branham of Ohio State. I think he'd be a good pick at 16, um, flat out. He's the number one guy in this tier for me anyway. Um, he's a very skilled and polished offensive player. He's got a lot to offer offensively. 16 wingspan, intriguing scoring flashes, but is limited athletically. And honestly, uh, it pains me to watch him play defense right now. I think he might be okay in time. He has the tools to be okay. But, man, it was brutal defensively in college. And people that listen to the podcast know that I, don't, I can't just uh, get by that very easily. If he was better defensively, he would be higher on my board for sure. And the problem is, again, in Atlanta – you cannot handle another bad defender. Like if, if he's actually bad, it's going to be kind of untenable. If he's not bad, then his skill set makes a lot of sense for the Hawks. And you have to think that if they buy his defense at all, that he's an appropriate pick at this point in time. Blake Wesley is another guy in here that he's a totally different kind of prospect. He's very raw, actually. Was not very efficient this year at Notre Dame, but a lot of intriguing tools. 6'8 wingspan, kind of a combo guard, good athlete, good ball handler. It's maybe a great ball handler already. Good defensive tools as well. And honestly, fits well with Trey because of that. But the shooting is a question, and finishing was not good this year at Notre Dame. So that's that's sort of the uh, the pluses and minuses of Blake Wesley. Ty Ty Washington is a guy I've always liked, a uh, combo guard from Kentucky. More of a skill and polish guy than Wesley is, though, but a, a great floater game. I think he's going to shoot pretty well. Five-star pet pedigree, and uh, usually Kentucky combo guards seem to do well in the NBA. It isn't always going to work, but it's, it's worked in the past. Not a great athlete, though, like a very explosive guy. It could limit him a little bit on both ends of the floor. I think defensively he's going to be just fine, but um, more of a combo like third guard type for me, which is not terribly sexy, but also okay if you like that archetype and that, uh, and that kind of player at this point. Um, Dale and Terry, I absolutely love, and I'm having fun now that the consensus is sort of catching up to me because I've said on the podcast before, he was a guy that I was early on. I've always loved Dale and, Her- Dale and Terry, but now it's like 16s like kind of in play for him, which seems crazy, uh, but not to me. I think I, I think he's definitely in that range. Um, 7-1 wingspan, great defensive tools already. Played some point guard this year in Arizona. Does all the little things. Um, the obvious comparison for me is DeLon Wright, but even taller. Now, I love DeLon Wright. Um, at a high level, obviously, but he's very competitive. Dylan Terry is um, good athletically, big time defender already. He's gonna have to get a little bit stronger, to, but I think he's gonna. I think he's going to. And the big thing is for him is if he can shoot. And obviously, that, that's the long right parallel as well because Delon's not a great shooter. But basically, uh, a wing sized Delon Wright would be a heck of a player, and that's probably what Terry kind of projects to be. So I like that a lot. Um, Ochai Abaji is kind of a easy guy to talk about in some ways. Good shooter. I'm not sure he's an elite shooter, but he's definitely a good shooter. Pretty good defender as well. Not a special one for me. And he's a little bit smaller than you would want as like a true wing prospect. But um, I like his off-ball stuff on offense, and which which would pretty uh, I think fit well with Trey in some respects. I think he's a three and D guy, and that's not a bad thing at all. It's just like that's exactly what he is. I think he's got pretty much no juice on offense in a lot of ways. Also, as far as like with, with the ball in his hands, and then defensively, he's like more of just an okay defender. So. Um, 
that's a valuable player. If he shoots in the high 30s from three and defends adequately, that's a very valuable player. I'm not crapping on him. Um, it, it's more of a, like, I don't want like to see the upside with him a ton, but that's okay. Like, that, that, that's a totally fine pick at 16. Um, Usman Jang is more of a wild card. He is uh, 6'10", like with guard skills in a lot of ways. More like sort of a point forward type. Okay-ish shooter, but not a hugely safe bet for me right now. And kind of a limited athlete for someone who's 6'10". But defensively, he has good feel. And I think he is super long and will be active and be fine. Checks a lot of boxes. Kind of a weird guy to fit with. But with the Hawks and Trey, he actually makes a little bit more sense than on some teams. And then finally, EJ Liddell is the last guy I'd have in this group. Not exciting at all, honestly. He's kind of like a Baji in that way. Different player, but certainly like kind of a boring, quote-unquote, prospect. I love his defense, though. He's gotten some Paul Millsap comparisons that are very aggressive. Paul Millsap was an all-defense kind of guy that I would not project on anybody. But he is super stout, seven-foot wingspan, and people like you know are really intrigued by his defense. I think I am as well. I wouldn't love him at 16. I think it's fine. Um, but offensively, he's kind of limited in some respects. Not a, not a great athlete, kind of groundbound in some ways. The shooting has come a long way for him, which is good to see. But uh, some development still to go there. He's a three-year guy at Ohio State. So he's a little bit older than a lot of these guys. After that, and I promise I'm almost done, um, are the trade-down guys. Um, I'll just mention these guys quickly here. Jaden Hardy is someone people are a little bit higher on than I am, generally speaking. But he's a truly gifted ball handler and could have some real upside on offense. I will say he's like my favorite. He's not my, it's not my favorite like player archetype, but I think that Hardy's upside is the highest of this group by far as a scorer. He could be a legitimate scorer if that all comes together for him. He was better at the end of the year as well for, for, for Gilead Knight, which is uh, certainly intriguing for a guy who's still very, very young. Jake LaRavia is a pure role player, but I love him predictably. Um, he can shoot it. He can pass it. He can guard. He'd be a good pick on a trade-down scenario like somewhere in the 20s. I think that's totally fine value for him. Marjan Bochamp is a really good defensive prospect. The offense is the big question. I like those guys more than most for obvious reasons. I love the, I love defense, but I think the offense is a huge question mark for him, which is why he's probably more in that like late first or early second round mold for me. Bryce McGowan's an interesting score type, but he's super skinny and not super strong at this point. Um, it's kind of the case for a lot of guys, but I think the scoring is probably what his uh, calling card is going to have to be defensively. Not a lot to like there overall. Then there's some guys that I kind of like um, in the, in the 20s, not necessarily at 16, Max Christie, I still kind of buy. And then Wendell Moore, I've always kind of liked out of Duke. Super long and intelligent player on defense. Good passer. I'm not sure how, how good of a shooter he is, but he, he definitely can shoot. I'm not sure if he's like a great guy at anything, though. Kind of like a jack-of-all-trades kind of type. But I think he's a, a rotation guy in the NBA. And that's totally fine as well. So I've said a lot of things about a lot of prospects at this point. There's so much different stuff going on. And I think that it might be total chaos on Thursday, to be honest. It might seem boring right now, but also I can see a world with the Hawks just picking 16. It wouldn't stun me all that much if nothing happened other than that. Obviously, the column stuff is uh, almost separate at this point in time. But the madness of the rumor mill is not going to stop between now and Thursday. So buckle up for all that. We'll have complete and overarching coverage of whatever happens on this podcast. I'm going to be at the Hawks facility on Thursday night. So the post-draft podcast is going to be a little bit on the later side on Thursday into Friday. But it will be up for you for the sickos late at night and then for everybody else for Friday morning's commute. So I will definitely be here with a full breakdown of any trade that happens or any draft prospect or anything that's said by Landry Fields or Travis Schlenk, whoever's talking to the media. I will be in attendance on Thursday for all of that stuff. It's a great time to subscribe to the podcast. I know most of you that listen, listen this far are probably subscribers already, but if you're not, please do me a favor and subscribe across platforms, even Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, wherever you like to find podcasts, listen to them. I really appreciate all the support this time of year. Also, please follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. 
And yeah, at any rate, enjoy the ride. Uh, I love the draft. I'm passionate about the draft. This is a very, very fun time of year. So enjoy all of that. And we'll see you after the draft. Or if something crazy happens, maybe Thursday. But at the very least, we'll see you next time.